Welcome to Leadership Letters, the podcast reflecting on all things leadership. Coming up... A lot of fear is not really based on reality. You're projecting into the future about what could happen. I think there's something really courageous in you sharing actually how unsettling it is for leaders when things are going really well. There needs to be a sense that leaders have got a plan and the plan has been well thought out. We've got to go towards some of these really hard and unpleasant truths if there's going to be some change. How can we understand our customers if we don't have any appreciation of their experiences? It's all okay in the end. Hello, I'm Lizzie Bentley-Bowers. This podcast is a place for leaders to hear and share experiences and to talk about who and what has inspired and driven them and how they go about the work of being a leader. Then later, in the Leadership Letters Lowdown, we share food for thought, ideas, inspiration, tools, resources that you can use to support and challenge you as you navigate all that leadership entails. Our working day has a huge impact on our lives and the lives of those around us. And it's leaders who have the opportunity to build culture, build teams, organisations, to articulate purpose and goals, essentially to create the conditions for people to thrive at work through their sense of achievement, through connection with others, through meaning, purpose and contribution. Our guest today has made it his mission to ensure that those conditions we create as leaders really are ones that everyone is welcome to, accounted for and can flourish in. Our guest has worked in the staffing industry for over 20 years and his experience spans recruitment, contingent workforce management, executive search, management roles and leadership development. With a passion for equity, diversity and inclusion, born from his desire to remove the barriers faced by diverse and underrepresented talent, he advises organisations and leaders on equity, diversity and inclusion, with an approach that focuses on ethics, risk and performance. I'm delighted to welcome to the Leadership Letters podcast a co-founder of Inventum Group, Adam Tobias. Adam, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Where, when, how did you first become aware of leadership as a thing and how did that impact you? In my experience, managers or leaders tended to be people who were good at the job and got promoted into a leadership role. Um, you know, so the, the kind of the skills that sit around leadership weren't necessarily, in my, again, in my experience, and, 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 and leadership was very much somebody who told you what to do. And they told you what to do because they had done your job previously. Um, but as a, as a skill set, probably much, much later on in my career, uh, probably not really until I was running my own business and kind of nominally was a leader, but I perhaps didn't view myself as a leader. Um, and so, yeah, you know, as a, as a separate skill set from the actual technical aspects of whatever job it was that I was doing, you know, uh, communication, empathy, all those kind of things came much, much later for me. And, and I kind of... Learn the hard way. I say the hard way is by mistake, isn't it? I think, you know, human beings, we learn through pain rather than experience. Well, maybe through experience as well. But, you know, I certainly learn through pain. And I don't mean it in a sort of very dramatic sense, but just in, in mistakes, really. I make mistakes all the time. And I think, you know, I relish mistakes because that's it's one of the ways I learn. I mean, I, I recognise my own learning style really as mistake driven. Right. But good intentions. And also, I learn a lot through teaching. So I think it's one of my kind of key learnings. As a leader, I've learned a lot more as a leader when I've started to either teach or share my experiences with others. 
I'm interested. Well, you, you used a couple of words in relation to leadership already. Cards on the table. I love that these are the first two on your list. But but you mentioned the skills of communication and empathy. Let's start with what's important to you about communication and empathy. You know, those came up first. What's what? yeah, mainly because I think certainly with communication, that's something that I haven't been great at. Really, I think that's really what I've learned. Probably the fundamental thing I've learned whilst leading people or processes is actually communication is the most important thing for me your team want to know what's going on what I've also noticed a lot is that people tend to communicate really well within their peer groups but they communicate very badly between and I'm not big into hierarchy but perhaps people who who report into you but also maybe if you're in a corporation or an organization where you're also you know going upwards Communication is, is sometimes easier to flow sideways and up than it is to go down. And there's also a sense sometimes that we have to control the flow of information, right? That people aren't ready for this or can't handle this data uh, or this information. Or does it make us look weak by sharing it? There's that fear of vulnerability. And what, what I've learned is actually communication is key. You, you build relationships and trust by being transparent and honest. You know, trust is based on honesty. And I think when you're not transparent or when you don't share what's really happening, people are, in my experience, real smart and they pick up on it and they feel in the dark. And when you feel in the dark, why would you follow someone if you don't follow, you're getting the full picture. So for me, communication is absolutely key. And I've made that mistake time and again. And now I feel like I'm much better at it. I've learned from, from people, from my colleagues. And, you know, we're in it together. I don't like hierarchy particularly. I never say people work for me. They work with me. Mm. And if they work with me, then they deserve to hear what's going on. So that vulnerability you talk about, it strikes me as one of those easier said than done things. Firstly, to notice in the first place that your communication isn't great. How did you come to that understanding that you weren't communicating in the ways that you now understand that people needed? Yep. And hearing what you then did around that communication and the transparency and the vulnerability, you know, what, what, what are the challenges of that? I guess, what, you know, what comes in the middle there? What's the work for you that comes between not being transparent and being transparent? Because something has to shift, I'm guessing. In, in terms of the communication, I'm really lucky that the team of people that I've always, well, I've worked with for a long time, but also people in my past who are no longer working with me and, and told me so. And, and, and so in some ways, I'm really lucky that they felt there was a level of trust or maybe we just they were just <laughs> angry. And they, I don't know, whatever. But they did tell us the truth and they felt they weren't communicating and people didn't know what was going on. And there's still there's still times when, you know, I think a message has got through, but it really hasn't, you know. Um, so lucky enough to have people tell me that. And also, I guess when we've been honest or when we've been really transparent, and I'm really talking about the, 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 either the really good times or the really bad times. Right. When you're running a business, there's always going to be, especially for a very long period of time, 17 years in our case, there's going to be some ups and downs. And how much of the downs do you share? How much of your own fears do you share? But there's a difference between sharing fears and sharing because a lot of fear is not really based on reality. You're projecting into the future about what could happen. Um, and maybe you're trying to protect your staff. And also you don't want them to go. You know, if they knew things are maybe a bit more precarious than you may have been honest about or wanted to be honest about. Um, but also checking oneself as well. You know, the story that we tell is it well, there's at least three sides to every story, isn't there? My side, your side, the truth. And sometimes there's multiple truths. But actually also when, when things are going really, really well, do you want to share the numbers with people? You're very profitable. How much of that do you want to share? 
people you work with want to feel part of the story. They want to be part of the journey. They want to be trusted and they deserve to be trusted. So that's really where the communication bit comes. And the vulnerability is kind of part of that. You know, that's where you build strong relationships with people when you are yourself and you are honest, you know, and where you are, you tell them how, how it is. But at the same token, you've got to be careful about how it is because, again, it's your perception versus... And, you, and a, I think you have an obligation not to freak people out or scare people. And part of being an owner or a leader is to take some of that away, you know, make people feel secure and safe. You know, vulnerability is important. Uh, but, it, but there's a difference between vulnerability and, and not making people feel safe. I think there's a, something really courageous, Adam, if I'm honest, in you sharing actually how unsettling it is for leaders when things are going really well. I think I'm hearing in there that when the profits are high, there's a fear of people questioning why you're making the decisions that you're making if the business is doing this well. I think that's a really fascinating place from which to think about where's the vulnerability in sharing what goes well. I'm not sure we pay attention to how that impacts our communication and decision-making. I think it's important to deliver those bits of news in the same way mm-hmm. so you can share but also it's how you share that information is really important if you're you know very profitable it's not like all the owners are high-fiving you know because I think that's that's crass and also I think the, the two are connected aren't they so when things are going well that's part of the safety net for when things aren't going so well right so you know I think trying to get that message across that actually the success actually gives us security and new security as much as anyone and that, that that's why it's important and also when things are have been a bit tough you know not like sharing it in fear sharing it in just transparency you know so like sharing that message in the same way really the tone of voice the way you share it you know I, I believe that people and I keep saying the word people uh, I'm not talking about this vast quantity of people I'm talking about my team our team there needs to be a sense that you know you know that, that that leaders have got a plan not the answer mm. not an answer because nobody's got the answers always but a plan and they're confident with their plan and the plan has been well thought out that for me feels like a really safe place to be especially now i mean it's not like you know we are in a, a bonkers job market you know every single person who works in our business could easily find a job tomorrow if they wanted and it's not just about money it's about the environment the trust the respect, feeling part of something, having, you know, having a purpose. Are you seeing yeah. that borne out? Because I, because purpose meaning feeling part of something, you know, the crucial components of a fulfilling, yeah. healthy work life. And so particularly when you're between the extremes, what, what is it that you do, Adam, to communicate the purpose and bring people with you? We talk about it all the time. We talk about what we're here to do, why we're here. What we're trying to do, I'm really lucky in the sense of, you know, in my business, and there's different parts of our business, but we have a clear purpose, you know, and it sounds really a bit cheesy and a bit grandiose, but I want to change the world one person and one company at a time. It's really easy to communicate that, right? And how do you do that? Well, you, you know, a large part of what we do is to help organisations become more inclusive and diverse. We consult with businesses, but we also find talent for those businesses. That's something that needs to happen. There is woeful underrepresentation of all kinds of diversity, and we'll maybe touch on this a bit later. And I'm very conscious of saying this as a white middle-aged man, by the 
way, mm. right? Who on the outwardly would have a huge and, and has had a huge amount of privilege in life, right? Do, do not get away from that. But sometimes power comes from being able to reflect back at the problem or, or, or the people who need to change. So me being, you know, v- v- looking the way I do can actually have quite a lot of power in that conversation. I don't necessarily feel like a threat, maybe, or I maybe feel like someone who understands where they're coming from. But purpose is absolutely everything. For me, it has to have a, a genuine reason. And, and we've got to remind ourselves, you know, I, 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 you know, I like to say to our, our people that, you know, we get to change people's lives. You know, there's a famous quote by Mayor Angelou that I love, and it's, you know, it's, it, it gets banded around a lot, but people will forget what you said, they'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And I really believe that's important. So to your purpose, let's talk more about that and, and what matters to you. And I'm, I'm intrigued with what you said there about how that opportunity of being somebody who recognises their privilege, how that creates for you an opportunity to perhaps be listened to where <laughs> someone else might not. It's a difficult, it's difficult to say that. Yeah, because it's even difficult to say that. But there's something about, you know, we, we, we've got to go towards some of these really hard and unpleasant truths if there's going to be some change. It, it, it is a difficult subject and there's a fear. Mm. And I felt this fear for a long time around this, that how can I be an authentic voice if I've had privilege? Now, I am really mindful of diversity in all its formats, not just in terms of let's talk about gender or race and ethnicity. Um, or disability from a visible perspective. So visible diversity. Now, obviously, there's a lot of diversity. I actually have, a, as we might touch on, a, a couple of, you know, what could be deemed, well, the neurodiversities, the late disability. I think that's a, it's an interesting topic. I kind of think they sort of sit somewhere between the two. We're going to get change, right? It can't just be about, it has to be about bringing everyone along for the journey. But also, those people who have the most influence remain right, middle-aged men certainly in the UK and probably in large swathes of the Western world, that is the, the visible group that has the most, still has the most influence. What I find funny is that for the first time in human history, white men are feeling vulnerable for the first time. And that's a good thing because they're getting to start to feel like what, you know, what perhaps what other people who aren't white men feel like, right? But they're not the enemy either. I think that's important. You know, you can't demonise somebody for what they are. But we do have a a really important role to recognise that privilege and also to bring that to life and to say, well, actually, yeah, we may not. And maybe you're feeling it for the very first time. But this is how a lot of people have been feeling all of their lives. Allyship is really because if we want to change the world, then allyship is absolutely key. But. We all need to stand up for different groups. We all need to be allies to different groups and, and, and to see and hear those different groups and recognise where we have an authority or where we have influence and where we don't. A lot of the work that I do, I don't think it's appropriate. for A lot of the work that we do as a business, I don't always think it's appropriate for me to do because of my personal lived experiences. So I have associates and colleagues. But a lot of the time, you know, it's about just influencing change. And, and the, the public discourse... And by that, I mean, you know, what you, what you read, what you see in, on social media. And, well, one moment you can be despairing that there is no change at all. And one moment and another moment you can feel very hopeful. Where are we as a, as a world of work, in your view, as somebody who is driven by changing it? Uh, I suppose it really depends on who you ask, doesn't it? And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I take the stance that most people, most people come from a place of, of goodness. You know, I take the approach that there's, 
we take a sort of three-pronged approach. Morals, you're doing it because it's the right thing to do. Risk, what's the risk if I don't do this? And performance, if I do this, what's the benefit? And I, if I'm honest with you, I don't really care what drives, if it's one of those, or maybe multiple, or all three, that's fine. I think from a corporate perspective, I think it's very important. I think actually risk is the biggest driver. What's the risk to our business if we don't do this? That could be a reputational risk, or that could be a performance-related risk, or a talent, you know, you, you know, access to talent. Because the talent is going where there's ethical and moral alignment. Yeah, I think... You know, in the UK, especially in London, for example, you know, the thought of property ownership is actually something quite alien to many people, right? You know, we're our generation and Nola, you know, was always, you know, so actually it's not just about money now. It's actually about working with purpose, with working with an organisation that cares about what they do and it cares about the workforce. Now, I don't know if that's going to remain, but I'm certainly seeing that. You know, the world is changing. You know, in the next 30 years, we're going to have a billion people, extra billion people on planet Earth. 90% more or more are coming from Africa and Asia. Our customers are changing. We have to reflect what our customers, how can we understand our customers if we don't have any appreciation of their experiences? So we have to do something. And that it doesn't have to be a big gesture, but it's like being an active bystander. When you see stuff that's not acceptable, calling it out. And we're also terrified to do that, aren't we? But we have to, have to, you know in the right way there's choosing to change the way we think choosing to change the way we behave yeah there's a lot in there i'm conscious as well adam that we could stay here on we've got a letter to here as well i think when you've got a purpose like this or you kind of work in this space a I, i find it fascinating but b it's actually a chance to be involved in something that's actually really important yeah right and and those opportunities i don't think happen all the time they haven't happened for me until the latter part of my career. So I think the latter part, the part most recent, I've still got a few years left, um, but in the, the most recent part, and, 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 and as you'll hear, it's kind of reinvigorated me anyway, but it, it's, it's purpose is everything. Well, so what you've just said suggests to me there's gonna be something, some kind of connection here to your letter. So it'd be great to hear who you yes. you and why, and then ask you to share your letter. Well, this was a tough one and actually, I really struggled to think of an individual. And I came up with it ultimately was the, was the, the leader that I never had. Mm. The leader that I wished I'd had maybe. And sort of shared maybe a story around where they could have maybe helped make a difference, maybe get to my purpose a bit quicker. So dear leader that I never had, I wanted to reach out to thank you for everything you have done for me. You may not realize but you had a huge influence on my life by simply not existing. If you had been my leader, my mentor, my boss, well, things might have been different. That isn't to say that I'm not pleased with my career and how it's played out, because I am. In fact, it's been fantastic and really beyond my expectations. However, I do often wonder what it might have been like if there was someone early on who took the time to understand me and recognise my skills and abilities somebody who believed in me. You see, I felt like I was pushing water uphill in my early career. I started off my working life for a large, unnamed European investment bank on a trading floor that I simply did not belong on. I imagined myself as this hotshot trader, but the reality was I was a rabbit in headlights. My lack of confidence disguised my ability though. I kind of got the process. I just couldn't act like the other graduates. 
I didn't know how to develop relationships. I didn't know how to demonstrate what I could do. I didn't know that refusing to wear a tie was hurting my chances. I was a fish out of water and I was out of that job very quickly. At the time I could have done with your guidance, I would have really appreciated you taking me aside and showing me the ropes and explaining how things work around here in detail. You see, I need the detail. Ambiguity can be hard for me. I need a clear picture. And once I've got that, I'm generally up and away. If you existed, you might have been there to answer any questions and just generally looked out for me. I often felt like I didn't belong and that feeling drove my insecurities. I then moved into the staffing industry and I felt far more at home. There were plenty of other oddballs in the company that I joined and there was a sense of camaraderie that I relished. Perhaps it was simply my new colleagues didn't have the same levels of arrogance that I had experienced in banking, but I still didn't settle that well. My humour was always misunderstood. And whilst my approach to business development was effective, eventually, it was different. And that didn't always go down with my peers and managers. I still refused to wear a tie and I took to wearing jeans when everyone else wore a suit. I didn't understand that I was making myself stand out. You could have helped me here. You could have stood in my corner explaining that it was okay that I was different. I was good at my job, but I wonder how much better I could have been with a little guidance and support. The environment was wild and to hide my insecurities, I got stuck into the drinking culture with aplomb. I made mistakes and I was involved in numerous indiscretions. I wish you could have been there to show me a better way. Had I worked for a more professional organisation, I may well have been shown the door, but I clung on to my job because I made the company money. That taught me the wrong lessons about values and integrity. For a number of years, I behaved badly and the biggest victim was my self-worth. Finally, I had to get out. I didn't see a future, but I wonder if I waited too long. Would you have helped me make the decision sooner? It took me a long time to realise I was unhappy. Really, really unhappy. What damage did I do in refusing to accept it was time for change? I hated change back then. It absolutely terrified me. You could have told me that change is an essential part of life. Without change, we don't grow. And without growth, we stagnate. And stagnation killed my soul. It took me a long time to realise that on my own. So age 28, I left my job and started a company with an old friend. I wish you'd been there then. We both needed some support. We hid that feeling with the joy of seemingly being in charge of our own destiny. And business was good. We chose some of the wrong people to advise us. We doubted ourselves and we made so many mistakes. I'm grateful for the mistakes now, but there is no doubt in my mind I would have less scars had you been around. We grew quick. We went from a lifestyle business with two people in a tiny office on the Gray's Inn Road in London to three offices and 40 people. And I just didn't have the experience we needed. The mistakes I made were costly and I could have been a much better leader. I didn't have anyone to model myself on. I wish I could have modeled myself on you. I've had to learn some hard and painful lessons, but learn them I did. And I take personal responsibility for the things I can influence. I try to recognize my own boundaries and not worry about the things I cannot change. I'm 46 now, not that age really matters. I'm so lucky I got the chance to learn about myself and to learn what I'm really good at and also what I'm not good at. Would I have got here sooner with you around? I suspect so, but I try not to deal in regrets. And what do I have to regret? Really nothing. I try to stay in the gratitude business. 
Talking of business, things are great. And I now have two fabulous partners who I admire and respect hugely and who value me for who I am and what I bring. We have a brilliant team around us that inspire me every day. I am doing what I feel I am destined to do. And that is to help people and companies to value the power of diversity and inclusion. I spend my time working with businesses and their leaders, creating programs and training staff. I feel my work has real impact. So this is a thank you. If you'd been around early on, I suspect my life would have gone in a different direction. Or maybe I would have got to where I have got to just sooner. But ultimately, things have worked out well for me. Maybe by not being around, you forced me to forge my own path. And I'm ever so grateful for that. Best, Adam. I think that's an extraordinary letter, Adam. I really do. Thank you. Thank you for sharing it. My pleasure. There were many things that stood out for me about what your younger self needed and didn't get. He said, I didn't understand that I was different, let alone how to explain it. And that need for somebody to be in the corner explaining it for you. People will be listening to this with the opportunity to be that. I hope so. You know, there's a lot of different types of people out there. We value confidence. We value social ability, if you like. We value a lot of these outwardly important things. But they're not always that important. And we have to recognise for some people they're much harder or they come later. Um, we're kind of talking about neurodiversity here, aren't we? I have. And I was only diagnosed once I got involved in disability in the workplace, bizarrely, because I kind of learned. I was like, oh, my gosh, this sounds like me. There I am. <laughs> and I like a label that works for me. It doesn't work for everyone. And that's fine. But for me. It kind of helps explain a lot of stuff. So I, I have ADHD, which is really no surprise to anyone who knew me throughout my life. But I also, um, age 41, was diagnosed with an autistic spectrum condition. What we would probably call Asperger's or high-functioning autism. And often people think, well, hang on a sec, but you're good at communication and you listen and you're empathetic and all these kind of things. And there's a lot of stereotyping going on. I think, you know, when you talk about autism, I think a lot of people still kind of go in their mind as Rain Man, you know, the movie with Dustin Hoffman, you know, he's a mathematical savant. That is incredibly rare. I mean, it's not, that's not autism. I mean, that's a, you know, might be a feature of, but, but I guess just recognising that people have different communication styles and some people really need, like in my case, detail. I don't necessarily pick up on a lot of social cues have to make things clear. And I've had to learn a lot of stuff along the way. But that can often mask ability, can't it? It can mask capability. And uh, I think that's sad. And I think the world is better now. I think we get, we're getting better. These topics are starting to happen. There's some amazing organisations doing amazing work in this space, but there's still a long way to go. So, yeah, I mean, if that shines a light for other people or they recognise that in themselves or they recognise some of those traits in others and they can be an ally, or a friend, then that would be really, you know, really powerful. Um, I mean, reading the letter back and thinking about it, I'm really happy the way things did play out, to be honest with you. It's all okay in the end. Well, as we're all learning, there's so much that we don't understand. It's unconscious. People don't mean to do it, but there's default thinking. And I guess what I hear in there, in terms of leaders, managers, in terms of people who are in the position that the leader you would have liked would be, and great, it's all worked out for you, and it doesn't work out brilliantly for some. No, I'm really lucky. I wonder what kinds of things leaders and managers could be saying, doing, how they contribute to a culture of respect, curiosity, 
really take the time to get to know people you know we're not people are not all the same right i know that everyone's pushed for time and we're all so busy and but actually if you think about the value what is the value of any organization it's the people that work there more often than not and obviously i'm not saying that about every organization but the vast majority of businesses you're not anymore your talent walks out at six o'clock and comes back again at nine o'clock because we're working from home and hybrid but really taking the time to understand people really taking the time to listen understand what they need to perform if no one ever sat me down and said adam what is it that you how would you like me to communicate with you how can i help you set you on the road to success i may not have known but if i if that person had been able to prod the right sort of questions i think they would have been really powerful for me like detailed written instruction is a brilliant starting point for anything i will absorb it and i'll understand it understanding how people like to be communicated with feeling like they can come with a problem that it's okay to make mistakes. Now, it's not okay to make the same mistake over and over again, but it is okay to make a mistake, all right? Trying not to hire in our own image always. The power of diversity is, is ultimately the power of different experience and different thinking. That's where innovate, that's why performance is a connection because when you've got differing opinions that come together and you manage that friction, that cognitive friction, that's where innovation comes from, different ideas coming together in a managed, carefully controlled environment where it's not chaos, recognizing the value of difference, the power of difference and giving people a voice. Sometimes in a meeting, you know, who's the person who doesn't say anything? Well, they don't say anything, not because they've got nothing to say more often than not. They don't say anything because they're not comfortable sharing that in the environment they're in. So how can you get what they've got inside of them out? Openness, friendliness. And I hear in there in the openness, the willingness to, to as leaders and as managers to realise that what, what you're looking for, might you might see in different ways. I guess I'm, the classic example I'm thinking of is in terms of how someone might pay attention. And we're, we are kind of conditioned to think that somebody paying attention looks like eye contact and that is not the full story of what paying attention looks like for many people. I doodle. All, I won't show you my doodles now, but I doodle all the time. That helps me listen. Mm. I'm in meetings. I've got my head down and I'm doodling away. I am listening to everything that's going on. If I, if I wasn't doing that, if it's a complex topic, I'm not listening. I can't. I, I, you know, it's just how my brain works. And my colleagues know that. You know, and I always cap meetings at absolutely one hour because beyond that, you start to lose me. I can't, you know, but if you can't take, explain and have a meeting in an hour, then seriously, you've got to look at yourself. right? <laughs> um, and in the spirit of that, Adam, then our time is probably nearly over. So <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't doing it like that for that reason. <laughs> well, and you've shared, goodness, so much insight, wisdom, food for thought, vulnerability. I appreciate it enormously. I wonder if I can ask before you go for one more resource. Sure. Uh, we, we always love to ask our guests to share a recommendation of something to read or watch or. Yeah, I read all the time and I think it's really powerful for, for a really easy book to think about the power. Of, see, for me, diversity is about, you know, what's inside our thoughts. That doesn't care what colour you are, what gender you are, what sexuality you are, what your family history is what your religion is, what your culture is, what you lack, you know, any of those things, your ideas are, they're, they're unique to you. You're a unique, unique cocktail. And that's the power of diversity, really, right? And so I think a really good book 
to kind of get people started on that journey is uh, Matthew Syed's um, Rebel Ideas. It's a really well-known book, uh, but I think it's a really approachable book and it kind of gets you thinking about the power of diversity in a different way. So that would be my recommendation. Brilliant. Adam, thank you. Pleasure. Time now for this month's Leadership Letters Lowdown. Compassion and kindness in the workplace have come a long way from being nice to have if you're lucky enough to work somewhere that values those things to being a measure of a successful business, key driver of employee engagement and qualities and skills that are sought after in leaders. Often, though, leaders find it challenging to square the circle of kindness and compassion with the need to deliver difficult messages. This can lead to delaying delivering those messages, maybe not fully preparing, or maybe not delivering those messages at all. If there's a conversation that you're putting off or worrying about because you're concerned about the impact on someone else, a first step that can be useful is to change the language you're using in your own head. If we think about it and we ask someone if they want to do something unpleasant or difficult, the chances are they'll say no or not right now. Whenever a client is talking about difficult conversations they're putting off or worrying about, I ask them what's important about that conversation. Almost always, they are then able to give me plenty of reasons with depth and with breadth why what it is that needs to be said is important. Important for the organisation, the team, clients, products, turnover, well-being, clarity, the list goes on. So holding on to why this conversation is important gives us purpose. It gives us positive reasons to do a difficult thing. A client also recently used the words necessary conversations instead of important, and I love that too. Kind of takes the pressure off it being important whilst retaining that sense of this conversation as something that's essential and worth going towards. The main thing is to use language in your own head that supports you to go towards the conversation rather than that language of difficult that might lead you to unconsciously avoid it or even approach it in a way that increases rather than decreases that discomfort. In the newsletter that inspired this podcast, I've shared this and some other ways to think about and go towards delivering those important or necessary messages, including embracing the fact that it's often from discomfort that we grow. You can find that alongside links to all the other resources we've mentioned in this and other episodes at thecausewaycoaching.com. So let's move on to my read, watch and listen to recommendations. And speaking of newsletters, I'm recommending someone else's newsletter this month. John Sills has a great newsletter, CX Stories, in which he shares stories, reflections and suggestions relating to customer experience, full of great insights for leaders, not only into customer experience and how to improve it, but also how these translate to employee experience and leadership. It's witty, it's thought-provoking, it's insightful, and I always enjoy seeing it pop up in my inbox. The To Watch recommendation is a TED Talk this month. It's by Juliet Shaw, and it's called The Case for a Four-Day Work Week. I know many of you have either already changed your work patterns and your work locations, or you're continuing to look at this question. So this talk brings together both some eye-opening research and some engaging examples of the impact of a four-day week. Plenty in there to stimulate continued reflection and further inquiry 
into what work might look like as your organisation evolves. For my to listen to recommendation, it's one I've recommended before, actually, Stephen Bartlett's Diary of a CEO podcast, a huge following for this podcast and justifiably so. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, So I've decided to start to recommend some specific episodes. And this one is called How to Find Ultimate Fulfillment at Work. And it's with Marcus Buckingham. Marcus Buckingham is a leading researcher and consultant in the field of positive psychology, strengths and leadership. And he talks brilliantly here about how thriving is about being in the right conditions and how when it comes to those important conversations that I talked about earlier, love at work has an important part to play. So that's it for this month. Thank you for joining us. If you're listening for the first time and you want to go back and listen to previous episodes, please do just hit follow wherever you're listening to this podcast. And however long you've been listening for, if you're finding it useful, please do let us know and please do share it on. If you'd like to recommend a guest or you'd like to write your own leadership letter and come and talk all things leadership, I'd love to hear from you. This is the Leadership Letters podcast, a reflection on all things leadership. See you soon.